Old Testament passage today begins in Genesis chapter 49, beginning with verse 1, as Jacob begins to prophesy over his sons the future, and this is very much a prophetic section. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that, for the purpose of, they tell you what will happen to you in the days to come. Not, not everybody else in the world, but this is what's going to happen to you. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. All right, so dignity and power. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. I said, hey, your instability. Now notice, here's the truth here. Unstable negates ability. Now, the people that have great ability, but they're not stable. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Remember, these are the two guys that went up and killed an entire village because one of the sons raped their sister. Let my soul not come into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in anger, in their anger, they killed men. And their willfulness, they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce. And their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Now, you know, I don't have time to preach through this passage because this is morning devotions. But I do want you to notice something. Levi, became the Levites. They became the priesthood. They became the ministers. Scattered throughout Israel, but their purpose became to serve God and the people. Now, I want you to notice just like Paul, God took a man born with violence. Paul said he breathed violence. These men breathed violence. And look at what he did with them. So please, understand, yes, they were scattered throughout Israel. But God did something good with it. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouches a lion, and as a lioness who dares rouses him. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. The Messiah would flow from Judah. King David would flow from Judah. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to a vine and his donkey's colt to a choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulun shall dwell on the shore of the sea. In other words, that coastal area, the coastal plain. And he shall become a haven for ships and his border shall be at Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. 
Daniel shall judge his people, one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels, so that its rider falls backwards. I wait for salvation, O Lord. Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a, be- is a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow is unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hand of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you, with the blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb, the blessing of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf, in the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with a blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. So this is what death is like. Death isn't being alone. See, sometimes we always are worried because we think our loved one's going to be alone. Never alone. Not only are they with God, gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephraim the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. What a beautiful way to leave this world. Chapter 50, verse 1. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm their father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it. In other words, they mummified him just like they mummified the other Egyptians. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die. In my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. Now, therefore, please let me go up and bury my father. Then I will return. So notice, when when Joseph talks to his boss, okay, he speaks humbly and he makes promises. There's a thought, folks. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. 
When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore the place was named Abel Mizraim. It is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah to the east of Mamre, which Abraham had bought with the field from Ephraim the Hittite to possess as a burying place. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Now this is guilt speaking again. See, I don't know what it is with people, but when they know they've done wrong, they think strange things about everybody around them. See, guilt perverts your thoughts. Now, again, you may not like that thought, but I'm sorry, it's a fact. Guilt perverts your thoughts. And so guilt affected how they thought, Joseph thought. They thought, okay, we, we, we know what Joseph is going to do, and, and you know, but it was the guilt of their own hearts. Now, now brothers and sisters, at some point, you've got to learn to walk in forgiveness. Because if you can't walk in forgiveness, every time something happens in life, your guilt is going to make you think wrong thoughts about other people. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, so their guilt made them lie. So guilt... Guilt affects how we think others think, and guilt makes you lie. You know, sometimes you wonder, why do people lie? I mean, sometimes people just make things up, okay? Your father gave this command. This is a big, bold-faced lie. Now, sometimes you listen to people today and you see them making bold-faced lies. I mean, there's not, even a, a, there's not even a smidgen of truth in what they say. They just make it up out of the air. They made this thing up out of the air, but really not. It didn't get made up out of the air. It got made up out of their own guilt. Oh. Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him, okay? <laughs> this hurt. It hurt Joseph. First, it hurt that they thought that he would think like that. And second, it hurt that they would lie like that. So Joseph said to them, do not fear. Okay, you're walking in fear. So guilt makes you fear. Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Ha-ha! God is working. He said, you know what? All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You know, there's a lot of people, and they do things to hurt you. And instead, all it does is bless you. All it does is 
establish you. All it does is solidify you. And you look at them and go, you know what? I know you're doing this for evil, but God is turning it around for good. That's why you can forgive and forget. Ah. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now, you know, you need to learn this. When people are hypersensitive, when people are hypersensitive because of guilt, when people are hypersensitive because of guilt, bring that up so you can see it. When people are hypersensitive because of guilt, you have to learn, learn to watch your words with them. You have to learn to comfort them. So two things that you have to do when people are hypersensitive. Comfort them and speak kindly to them. Now, your, your initial reaction is going to be to slap them upside the head and say, why would you think that about me? And slap them upside the head. Why would you lie? You know, dad never said that. You know, your initial reactions is to just confront them and challenge them, but comfort, not confront. Speak kindly. <laughs> now, beloved, you've often heard me quote my grandpa that it doesn't get any easier, it just gets harder. And, and one of the reasons for it is, you know, the, the sins of our youth, the, the, the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the whatever, you know, all those vices, those things pass away fairly quickly in life. But the more you serve Jesus and the longer you live, these are the hard things. These are the things of the heart. These, these are the hard ones to live. You'd like to just knock them upside the head, but instead of confrontation, you give them comfort. Instead of rebuke, you speak kindly. Wow. Wow. Comfort, not confrontation. And you speak kindly, not rebuke. These are the hard ones to live. So Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. But God will visit you and bring you out of this land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And notice, he spoke to his brothers, I'm about to die. Now he's the youngest, so it looks like the youngest died before the older ones. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. And Moses did this. And then when I get later, I'll put the verse reference there. And Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
New Testament passage today begins with one of the most famous stories of Jesus' teaching. Matthew 19, beginning with verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? All right. Now we know this is the rich, young ruler. Now, in Matthew's account, he kind of focuses on the rich part. So let, let's focus on this rich part. Now, young people, please don't get mad at me. All right, but just, just listen to me for a minute. Sometimes when you grow up with blessings, it's a little bit more difficult for you spiritually. Let me say that again. Sometimes when you grow up with a lot of blessings, it's a little bit more difficult for you spiritually. You know, when Shasha was younger, and I always told her, I said, you know, sweetheart, I know the world says marry someone who is tall, handsome, and rich. I said, Shasha, I want you to marry a guy who's a hard worker. I said, your mama didn't marry a rich boy. She married a hard worker. I said, you need to find a hard worker boy. Now, uh, young men, some of you have grown up very blessed, but there's nothing worse than a rich boy who doesn't understand how the riches have controlled him. Now, I want you to notice here. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? He wanted an action, not heart. He said, I want to do something, Lord. I want to, and that's normal for a young man, all right? Young men, they want to do something, okay? But, but sometimes, young men, you got to understand, it's not about doing It is about being. And there is a difference. And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Okay, You want to talk about doing something? Let's talk about the commandments. And he said, which ones? And Jesus answered, you shall not murder, commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. So notice, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. All right, so we have seven of the commandments here. One, well, excuse me, six of the commandments. Let's underline them again. Here we go. Welcome to life. Which ones? One, you shall not murder. Two, you shall not commit adultery. Three, you shall not steal. Four, you shall not bear false witness. Five, honor your father and mother. Six, love your neighbor as yourself. All right, so he gives him six of the 10 commandments. I call it six of the 10 big C's. That's how I, it's my alliteration. That's how I, my shorthand for the 10 commandments, the 10 big C. Now, all of these deal with human relationships. None of them deal with your relationship with God. So this boy says, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? Now notice, Jesus does not disagree with him. The focus of religion is always on human relationships. The focus of salvation is always on relationship with God. And there's a huge difference here. So Jesus didn't disagree. He, the young boy said, I've, I've done all of these since, since my youth. I've, 
I've done all of this right. And Jesus didn't disagree with him. Jesus said, okay. If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess, give to the poor, and you will have treasured heaven. And come, follow me. Now, forgive me, that is like the most amazing invitation in the universe. I mean, this this is like, this is like a giant wow. I mean, this is just like, whoa. Come follow me. He received an invitation to walk with Jesus. He could have been one of the apostles. What could have been? Jesus saw this boy's heart. He could have been one of the 12. He could have changed a world. But Jesus said, now, young man, you, you do have a problem. He said, your, your problem is that you love your money more than you love God. He said, your money has gotten in the way. Sell everything that you've got and give it to the poor. He said, go, go, go give it to the poor. He said, okay. He said, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. He said, give away what you've got. He said, you know what? And, and really, th the reason I, I say what could have been is this was a call to sacrifice. Do you remember the apostle said, Lord, and I put the verse in here, Lord, we gave up everything. Jesus was asking this boy, just like he asked Peter and Andrew and James and John to, to walk away from their family boats and to, to walk away from their family and put Jesus first. He offered him a potential apostleship. This is what was offered to this young man by Jesus. What could have been? But first he had to sacrifice. The young man was not willing to sacrifice at all. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Really, his possessions had him. Anything that you can't give away controls you. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Only with difficulty. Now, young people, some of you have grown up like I did, pretty poor, all right? And then I moved with my dad and I had blessings. But some of you have grown up with abundance. You've had your own bedroom. You had a car when you went to college. You had a great college education. You've never known need in your whole life. And, you know, you've got some money. But it's really hard for somebody like that to really get saved. It's not hard for them to uh, do all the things with the human relationships, all right? These things are easy. They're easy for these people. They've, they've been taught. They've been cultured. They've been trained. But it's very hard for them to enter the kingdom of heaven because their money, their desire for money, their, their, their inability to walk away from things, their inability to sacrifice, that they don't know what it would be like to miss a meal. Their inability to sacrifice. Ah. He said, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, and a needle was a type of a gate that's very low and very narrow, than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. Why? Because the big emphasis of 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 the the Sanhedrin and the temple was, was people's big offerings. Okay, he, he was greatly astonished and said, "Who can be saved?" And Jesus looked at them and said, "With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible." So, with man, it's impossible for a rich person to truly get saved. Because remember, you're going to either love God or you're going to love money. You're either going to respect God or you're going to respect money. I mean, Jesus said there's a choice there. He said, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and follow you. What will we have? All right, so here's the verse. 19 verse 27. Then Jesus said to them, and also you can add in Matthew 10 and Mark. Then Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. This is the future. We will see. During the millennium. During the millennium, you and I will go to Jerusalem. And we'll see Jesus sitting on his throne. And we'll see David as the prince. Jesus is king. David is prince. And we'll see David leading worship in the temple, the millennial temple, the four-square temple. But when we see Jesus sitting on his throne, there's going to be six thrones on either side of Jesus' throne. And we will see the 12 apostles sitting there. Their function will be to rule the 12 tribes of Israel. So, even though they don't come from the different 12 tribes, remember, we're spiritual, spiritual relationships now. Even though they don't come from the individual tribes, each one of them will judge one of the 12 tribes of Israel for a thousand years. We're going to see this one day. I, sometimes I like thinking about what I'm going to see, not just reading the Bible as history, but reading the Bible as the future that I will see. So I think about the day when I go to Jerusalem and that mosque on top of Temple Mount will be gone. And even the temple, rebuilt temple from the Great Tribulation will be gone. And there's going to be this beautiful new four-square temple prophesied in Ezekiel. And there's going to be sacrifices going up. I say, why sacrifices, Pastor? Because just like the sacrifice pointed toward Jesus, now they point backwards to Jesus, just like we partake of communion. And then we're going to go over to the throne room, visit our Savior. Oh, it's going to be a beautiful day. Jesus sitting on his throne, out from which comes a beautiful river of life. And there in that throne room, we'll see the 12 apostles and we'll be able to walk up and talk to them as they judge the 12 tribes of Israel. This is our future. And everyone who has left houses, brothers, sisters, mother, father, or lands, children or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. All right? A hundredfold in this life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. I've always told you I think I got, got it last. But, you know, when you walk away from things, and young people, straight up, if we're going to build these churches all across the provinces, 
you know, some of you are going to have to leave your home, your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad. You're going to have to leave family businesses and family properties for the sake of the name, for the sake of the name of Jesus. You're going to have to learn to walk away from that. He promises you that in this life, there is a hundredfold return and you'll inherit eternal life. And we know what that means. But again, you can't say first comes first, first in, first out, or first in, first blessed. It says many, not all, many who are first will be last and the last first. All right. One more passage for a little bit of wisdom from Proverbs today before we close out. Drink water from your own cistern. Proverbs 5, beginning with verse 15. This is referring to sex. Okay, the whole context here is sex. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Mm. Let your fountain be blessed, and that's referring to, okay, and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always with her love. Now, I don't know how to say this super politely, but I'm going to really, really try. This is wisdom about sexual relationships within marriage. You know, we don't go out and sleep around. Okay, we drink water from our own cistern. We, we, we don't. We don't go out and drink water from cisterns that aren't ours. We're not messing around with, with people that, you know, we're not married to, okay? Let them be for yourself alone. My wife is for me alone, and I am for her alone, okay? Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Guys, ladies, we're going to get older, okay? When Sister Beth married me, I was guapo and had hair and big muscles, and now grabe talaga, I'm... I don't have a six-pack. I have a 50-gallon drum, okay? And I'm bald, and my muscles, you know, <laughs> when I was having a medical checkup one time, I said, Doc, look at my arm. Look at my forearm. I used to have these big muscles on my forearm. What happened to my muscles, okay? Folks, we get older. We get wrinkled. Guys, rejoice in the wife of your youth. Rejoice in the wife of your youth, as you, even as you get older. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Not, not in some number two's love, in her love. Guys, just ah, go crazy over your wife. And I'll I'll say that all politely, as politely as possible, all right? I'm still kind of old-fashioned. We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock, back in the Book of Romans.